0: wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, if you don't know, we are in a series called Meals with Jesus, discovering God's blessings around the table. And here I am around the table this morning. I feel like ordering coffee and eggs or something. Uh, This is different, but fitting for our series. We're looking at table scenes with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. There's quite a few of them, if you've not noticed that before. So we want to look at the emphases of some of these uh, table scenes with Jesus. We're exploring the blessings that God provides when we experience his radical hospitality and accept his challenge to open up our lives to others around our table. Last Sunday, Pastor Melissa kicked off this series with a message, Discovering Grace out of Luke chapter five, verse 27 through 32. This morning, we're gonna be in Luke chapter seven. If you wanna go ahead and grab a Bible or open that up on your phone and turn to Luke chapter seven, we're going to discover this morning the way to God's kingdom community. You'll notice in your bulletin, the focus for the sermon, Jesus was once invited to the home of a religious leader who prided himself in being separate from sinners. The guests were expecting good food, pleasurable company, and some stimulating conversation with the edgy rabbi from Nazareth. Picture that. But when a notorious sinner showed up, uninvited, things got really, really awkward. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. I'm going to read this straight through, and then we'll come back and unpack it verse by verse. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt down behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, "Your sins are forgiven." The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Maybe you've heard this story before. There's a couple different versions of this in the Gospels, but this one is unique. Let's go back and look at verse 36 and just unpack this a bit and and look at this from its original context and specifically sort of table expectations and manners and, and etiquette in the first century. Verse 36 says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now why is this Pharisee inviting Jesus to dinner? likely not because he was a fan of Jesus. Maybe he wanted to know more about what Jesus was teaching and what he was on on about, but it could be that like other Pharisees, he was intending to embarrass Jesus or trap Jesus. We don't really know his motivations, but they're not necessarily good. We do have a couple of examples like Nicodemus, Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who are both Pharisees that were fans of Jesus. They were open to Jesus, became followers of Jesus, but a lot of the Pharisees were not. And you can see right away in verse 36 that he does not offer the customary uh, acts of hospitality when welcoming a visitor. We'll come back to that in a moment. Look at verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. Now, this is probably a euphemistic way that is a nice sort of cultural way of saying that this woman is a prostitute. We have sorts of, all sorts of euphemisms today sort of soften the blow of, of certain words or phrases or ideas. And in this case, what this woman's occupation was. So picture this it's likely that there was a public court where this woman could see what was going on. She barges into the room, certainly she's not invited. There's probably not even any other women in the room, unless maybe they were servants or slaves. And so the first woman, and she is a woman, an immoral woman from that city, and she barges into the room, and she brings a beautiful alabaster jar that is filled with expensive perfume. Here is an alabaster jar. Uh, This was in the office when I got here. So John Yates, I don't know if you're responsible for this. Maybe we've put some oil in this in the past, but this is what an alabaster jar would look like. And in this case, it held rare, the Bible says, expensive perfume. So probably this was some sort of inheritance that was given to this woman in case she falls on hard times. Maybe it's a retirement and she's pouring it all out on Jesus' feet. Look at that, verse 38. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair and you can just hear a gasp in the room. Because this just doesn't happen in first century Palestine. A woman letting down her hair would have been seen as a sexual act. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. This may be the only way this woman knows how to express her love and care to Jesus. What was it that brought this woman to Jesus? We we don't know. It seems that she heard him probably teaching. Maybe she saw him heal and even forgive people of their sins. But like so many others in the Gospels, we have an individual here that's not going to let anything stop them from getting to Jesus. And in this case, show her love and devotion to him, regardless of what it might look like. Luke tells us, then she kept kissing his feet. It gets even worse. Right from the perspective of a Pharisee. I mean, they're about to have a heart attack, I imagine and she's pouring this expensive perfume on his feet. So she's doing something that looks sexual in nature, and then she's just wasted this life inheritance, so they thought, on the feet of this edgy rabbi from Nazareth. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. By the way, you know God can read your thoughts, right? He reads his thoughts and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. By the way, this is the only instance in the Gospels where Jesus reads people's thoughts and turns to them and and speaks challenging words, even words of rebuke. Simon says, go ahead, teacher. Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, as we said, 500 pieces to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay, and so he kindly forgives them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon, he knows the answer. I suppose, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. But does Simon understand what Jesus is about to do here, what Jesus is saying to him? Jesus says, that's right. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Jesus wants to reframe this whole episode for Simon. You saw this in one way, and I'm going to tell you what has really just happened here but you don't have eyes to see it. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Look at this. You didn't play the proper host. You didn't offer hospitality. Why? Probably because the Pharisee, and an indicator that this Pharisee isn't a fan of Jesus or isn't sure what he thinks of Jesus, and doesn't want to be seen blessing Jesus on the way in his, in his house. But Jesus said, this woman has played the host and she's gone even further than what a host would do. And she's washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. This wasn't sexual, this was hospitality. I see her heart, Here's what I hear Jesus saying. I see her heart. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. I I can hear Jesus. I saying, he's indicated elsewhere. Like, if you really knew who I was, you'd be doing the same thing. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. She's gone even further in playing the host. And so I tell you, her sins And yes, I know they are many. I'm not naive. I'm not stupid. I know who this woman is. But I've forgiven her. And she's shown me much love. And then this is the point of the story Jesus told. A person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. told you that before, right? A a person can only extend the grace that they themselves have received. You can only love out of the love that you have received. It's important to keep that in mind when someone's being ugly to you. Uh, Someone's assuming the worst about you or treating you unfairly or unjustly. Look at them and see them the way Jesus would. And that's exactly what's happened here with Simon. Simon can't see what's really going on because of the condition of his own heart. Simon isn't playing the proper host and going even further like this woman because he does not see himself rightly. He does not see his own need of grace. He does not see his own sins are just as, were, is, as bad as this woman. That's what happens with the cross. We're all now on equal footing. No one is righteous, no, not one, the scriptures tell us. Uh, Here's an artistic expression of this scene here in Luke chapter seven. Just imagine this scenario and how scandalous this would have been. And their eyes, for Jesus not to rebuke this woman, but to accept her offering for seeing it what it was, an expression of love and hospitality from a broken woman. And so Jesus assures her that her sins are forgiven and that God favors her and tells her to go into peace in, in peace. Let's look at some some what we'll call table takeaways from this story. We've already touched on a few of them. Number one, God welcomes broken people at his table and he sees what is in a person's heart despite appearances. Now this is good news, right? This is good news for all of us. Of course, unless you think like a Pharisee. That God welcomes broken people. Don't miss this. God embraces sinners and the messiness that exists. He doesn't run from it. He's not embarrassed by it. He embraces it. He sees the heart of this woman and she receives a blessing. And think about what this might mean for uh, who you invite to your table. Right? Who might show up unannounced or uninvited and make things awkward and uncomfortable for everyone. Have you ever experienced that before? I uh, think of a humorous example here. This is from the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I know your favorite Christmas movie. You all know who that is standing there, right? This is Cousin Eddie in his blue leisure suit. Cousin Eddie is annoying, he is ill mannered, <laughs> he is gross, <laughs> he has a low IQ and clearly he has a poor taste in clothing. right? You remember, he lets his dog come to the table and he's hacking up a bone underneath the, the, the Christmas feast. However, in Clark Griswold's own words, you remember what he says? Eddie's heart is bigger than his brain. That's how Clark Griswold compliments his cousin-in-law. Right? Eddie proved this by kidnapping Clark's boss for cutting out Christmas bonuses that year and not telling them. So, so think about this. Maybe you've never viewed this movie this way and this particular character in this way, but regardless of the awkwardness, even what seems offensive the Lord invites us to see a person with different eyes in order to love and accept them as he does. So with different eyes, think about Eddie for a moment. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, there's no excuse. It's been out for years, right? So this Christmas, gather around with your family. and. You but think about this. Eddie was fun. Eddie was Positive. He was comic relief for a very dysfunctional family. And I think Jesus invites us to see even people like cousin Eddie with different eyes. We can see how God is at work in their life and the value that they add at the table. And number two, think about this one. Your sight, and that is how you view others in events can be clouded, as we see with Simon the Pharisee, by your own sin and self-righteousness. So we should be on the edge of our seat about this. We should be very sensitive to this. We should be very humble about this. Don't be like Simon the Pharisee. Check your own heart. Remember, you can only extend grace that you have received yourself. And be careful not to make assumptions or project, project your own junk on to others because it will blind you. It will blind you not only to the value that one brings to the table and their acts of service and their acts of love, but also that God himself is there in your midst. Number three, another table takeaway. This is related to number two. The condition of your heart and spiritual vision will determine the depth of your hospitality toward others. You know, if you're not very hospitable, and you're not able to look past your own judgmental thoughts and feelings about a person, it says more about you than about them. I think Jesus would have us know that this morning. It's a sobering thought, but it's true. So let's be willing to let the Lord have our heart and our eyes. Oh, Lord. I just we, we give you our heart this morning. We give you our eyes and we ask that you give it back to us so that we can see and think and feel the way that you do about people. And number four, in order to discover God's community, this is what we see in this episode as well, we must see ourselves as equals and gather in love and grace. Think how narrow-minded that table was. It's all men and all men who think that they are righteous. And Jesus not only accepts the sinful woman, he simultaneously declares her equal with men at the table. And we see this in how he disregards Jewish customs and accepts her. If, you know, Think about the Godhead even, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the Trinity. We see this sort of equality and submission one to another and God himself. Take a look at this iconic painting of the Trinity from Russian artist Andrei Rublev. You've seen this picture before? The Trinity, three persons, one God, we say. Three persons, but one God. Different functions, the Father, Son, and Spirit function differently, but equally are God. Mutually, Christian theology tells us, mutually are submitted to one another. There is no subordination. Equally submitted to one another. The Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Spirit is the love shared between them. Within God Himself, there is perfect community. Folks, our own theology about God teaches us what it means to be created in His image and treat others as such. And notice the artist depicts the Trinity where? At a table at a table. Lastly, number five, our last table takeaway. When Jesus is at the table, notice what happens. Souls are healed. Is Jesus at your table? Is Jesus at the table of your family and of your friends and with your neighbors? Because when Jesus is at the table, people walk away changed, just like this woman. When we set the table for Jesus and we allow him to be present, it's not just eating that we're gathered for, although that's good and I look forward to that. It is also for divine community. It's also for relationships and it's for soul care. Remember what Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Brothers and sisters, what words of blessing can we give to those at our table? You know, it could be our spouse, could be our children, could be Cousin Eddie, it could be the neighbor who won't look us in the eye, it could be that neighbor that votes differently than us, it could be the person who doesn't have much, who's poor, who hasn't taken a bath in a while, whoever it is, what words of blessings can we speak? How is God calling us to do that? Think about this church, eating at the table, whether it be with family, or with the church, or your neighbor, or even a stranger, ought to be a picture and an embodiment of the gospel, a tangible expression of God's love, forgiveness, and healing. So what would that look like in your home? Back to Dwayne's point, which he made earlier in the Everyday Disciple, You know, they say that one of the things that increases faith among our children is to eat dinner at the table like five out of seven days a week, as well as having someone else in the church who's invested in your child. What would that look like in your home? What would it look like as you invite others into your home to discover community at your table in an intimate space? We're inviting you, as you know, to do that at some point in this series. You can plan that out, you can email somebody, you can call them, say, hey, let's do dinner. You know, maybe somebody you know real well or maybe somebody you don't. Or it could be even spontaneous. As some of you know, Homer uh, Crable, Homer Mildred, for years, they would come to church having already prepared a meal to eat for lunch and they would look for someone to invite into their home. Maybe God wants us to continue that tradition here at Grantham, to continue to, to bless folks. If, if that ever happened to you, if, if Homer Mildred ever invited you to lunch that way, would you raise your hand? We have a few in the room, some over here, yeah. I encourage you to do whatever the Spirit leads, Of course, of, of course, but think about even being spontaneous with this because God can work in the spontaneous. Finally, here are some questions for reflection and response as we think about discovering community uh, at the table of Christ. Number one, how does the table story here in Luke 7 speak to you? Something I would challenge you to do if you didn't do this already in the reading. It's often telling when we read a story like this who we imagine ourselves in the story. You know, I I heard that oftentimes pastors sort of see themselves as Jesus maybe because, you know, we're the shepherd of the congregation. I don't think that's always healthy to do, so you know, hear me say that. See yourself as the woman. See yourself as the Pharisee. Enter into this episode and listen to the voice of the Spirit. What is the Spirit saying to us about this table experience? And number two, how is the Spirit inviting you to respond to this message? Or as we say at Grantham, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful story of Jesus helping to reframe an event for us, to see this woman in this situation through your eyes. Now, Father, we ask you in the power of the Spirit to give us the heart of Christ and the eyes of Jesus. Lord, that we can be proper hosts, that we can invite people to our table, even when it's awkward, even when it's messy. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Your servants are listening. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.